Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight, and we'll turn to the book of Psalms once again, Psalm 119. I appreciate that, Brother Cook, Brother Joseph. Thank you for uh, leading the singing tonight and the special. It's a blessing. All right, Psalm 119, we're, we've been kind of working our way through this psalm, that Word of God chapter in the Bible as the psalmist has been speaking to the Lord primarily about his uh, love for the Word of God and his relation to God through his Word. And uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse number 81 of Psalm 119. If you've reached that place in your Bible, I'll invite you to stand as we read together verses 81 through 88 this evening. The Bible says here, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon, the, or upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Thank you. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach to you from this passage a, a message entitled, When the Valley is Long. When the Valley is Long. We've, as we've worked our way through this psalm, one of the things that we've noticed along the way is that the psalmist is writing this from a position where he is experiencing trials, difficulties, and afflictions in his life. He's already intimated that uh, there are people who are falsely accusing him, people in positions of power who are seeking to tear him down and to destroy him, and yet he is seeking to remain faithful and true to the word of God and to the Lord uh, in this time. But here in this particular section of the psalm, this particular passage, these uh, eight verses here, we find uh, that the psalmist gets very real, if I can put it that way. He gets very real about the emotions that he's feeling in his affliction. Now, I think that's important for us to recognize because sometimes we, we say, well, you know, we don't live by feeling, we live by faith. And that's absolutely true. We ought not make our decisions based upon how we feel, but what we know to be right. However, that does not mean that we don't have feelings, does it? Feelings are a very real thing, especially in times of distress and difficulty and pain and affliction. Uh, there are many feelings that overcome us. And I think you're going to find here tonight that that the psalmist talks about some of these things, and he uses a lot of imagery, a lot of different illustrations or pictures to describe to the Lord how he's feeling. I think that's interesting because obviously the psalms in general uh, tend to be that way. They're written in a poetic uh, form or fashion, and so you see a lot of different 
imagery or illustration there to describe uh, uh, situations or how a person might feel. But here in this particular passage, the psalmist uses a lot of that uh, as he describes his condition and where he sees himself because there's sometimes just words themselves kind of fail to really describe how we feel. And, uh, and so they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And, and so sometimes he'll point to an illustration of what something's like in order to give us a mental picture of where he feels he is to describe, uh, how, again, how he feels and the, his condition. And so I want to uh, look with you at verse number 81 and, and show you his weariness. His weariness. Notice he says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. Now the word salvation here, I don't believe is referring to eternal salvation, the forgiveness of sins, because in context, what he's talking about is his desire to be delivered from the Lord. He's asking God to save him out of this situation that he finds himself in. But notice the word that he uses. He says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. Look at verse 82. Mine eyes fail for thy word. And then verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke. And so as he's talking about these things, I want you to notice he's talking about the fact that his, the, the, not just the affliction itself, not just the trial itself, but the length of the trial that seems as though it's never going to end, has brought him to a place where he just doesn't feel that he can go on anymore. The, the, those words, my soul fainteth. Think about that. Your soul is the, the real you. It's who you are. And he says it, it's coming to a point that I, I, I just don't have the strength to go on any further. I just don't know if I can go on another day. My soul is fainting for thy salvation. Verse 82, he says, Mine eyes fail for thy word. Have you ever felt as though because of uh, situations that you find yourself in in life, that, that your vision is just clouded a little bit? I'm not talking about your physical eyesight. I'm just saying when we're talking about clarity and understanding uh, of life and and. Uh, have you ever come to a place where you just feel like I, I, I'm just walking through darkness and I really don't know what's ahead of me? I just don't really know what decision I ought to make in this situation or another. I've got a, a pastor friend who, who refers to this. He says, when you go through certain trials, it's as though your decision maker is broken. <laughs> I think that's a good way of describing it. Sometimes you just feel like you're, you're driving in a fog, you know? You can't see what's ahead. You're not really sure. You want to make right decisions. You want to do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. But it's as though your eyes are failing you. My soul fainteth. Mine eyes fail. And then he says in verse 83, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Now, back in these days in, uh, in, in the Middle East, in that area, many, many times, most of the time, if... If they were going to use something, they would call it a bottle. They were, would use it to hold uh, liquids and things of that nature. Uh, it wasn't a glass bottle like you and I would use today uh, or plastic or something like that. But usually what they would do is they would take animal skins 
and they would dry them out and it would be kind of leather and they would sew those things together until they were actually able to hold uh, liquid and, and, and things of that nature. But what would happen, if you've ever worked with leather or skins, you know that as long as there is moisture or oil in that leather, it's pliable and, and smooth, but when it dries out, it begins to kind of crack and, and it, it gets dry and it's actually useless. It would certainly be useless to hold water uh, once it dries out and cracks. And if you were to take a bottle that was made of animal skins that was pretty good at holding liquids and waters, but in, if you were to hang it up in a place where the smoke from a fire would come and constantly uh, kind of absorb into that particular bottle, what would happen is it would dry out and it would become useless. So I want you to think about the, this image that he's painting. When he says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, mine eyes fail for thy word, I am become as a bottle in the smoke. Here's what he's saying. I'm discouraged, and I don't know if I can go on another day. I'm darkened, it's as though I can't really see I, I'm not sure what's ahead. I'm not sure what decision uh, to make. I'm not sure which direction to go. I'm discouraged. I'm darkened. I'm dry. Have you ever felt spiritually dry? You ever felt like there, as you, you, you're seeking the Lord, or at least you're trying to, but man, you can read the Bible and, and it feels as though it's just words on a page. You're not hearing from God. You pray and it feels as though your prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. And we see that described in scripture uh, as the heavens above you being as brass. You ever felt that way? Like God's not listening and God's not speaking. And I'm just going through a time of spiritual drought in my life. He says, I'm discouraged, I'm darkened, I'm dry. And ultimately because of these things, I'm done. I just don't know if I can go on another day. I just don't know what God wants from me because uh, I, I'm, I'm weary from this trial, this battle that I'm facing, and I don't know what to do. Now, you might look at that and say, boy, this guy had some nerve to talk to the Lord this way. But I think it's important that we recognize that God is okay with us expressing to him how we feel. Now that doesn't mean that it's ever right or justified for us to be blasphemous. I hear people say at times, you know, it's okay to be angry with God. Friend, it's never okay to be angry with God. Let me just tell you that right now. God is the righteous judge. To be angry with him is to believe or express that he's done something wrong or that he owes you an apology, and God owes no man an apology, and God never does that which is wrong. He is always right. So it's not okay to be angry with God, but I do think that there are times when we, are in our distress, in our pain, in our weariness, may feel as though we can't really tell God, or, or we can't really express to God how we feel, because somehow that would be a violation uh, of his word, but I want to show you something here in Psalm 62, if you would go there with me. Psalm 62, <clears throat> and let's look at verse number 8. Psalm 62 and verse number 8. Notice it says, 
Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. What's he saying? It's, it's necessary even to express to the Lord how you feel. Pour out your heart before him. Cry out to God as your father who sees your needs and cares about where you are. And pray to him and pour out your heart to him. But don't do so in an accusative way, in a frustrated way. Do so in a way where you're trusting in the Lord at all times. Where you're saying to God, Lord, I, I don't understand and, and, and I feel this way. But Lord, I know that you're right and I know that you're just and, and I know that you are faithful. And so I'm trusting in you and I'm hiding in you. He says uh, God is a refuge for us. A refuge is a hiding place. It's a, it's a stronghold. It's a fortress. That's what God is to us. We ought to run to God in times of our distress. We ought to run to him and, and, and cry out to him, Lord, I don't understand. I, I know that I don't always have to understand, but I'm struggling. I'm trusting you, but struggling. Have you ever been there? It's not that your faith has failed. It's not that you're giving up on God. It's not that you've quit believing that his way is best. But if you're real honest about it, you're struggling. Life has just beat you up a little bit, and you feel as though you're just maybe set aside from service to the Lord. You feel like that bottle that's been sitting in the smoke that's dried out, cracked, and useless, and you're struggling. That's where the psalmist found himself, weary from the valley that had gotten long. How do I know that the valley had gotten long? Notice what he says in verse number 84, if you would. We saw his weariness. I want to show you his wondering. This is his question. Verse 84, how many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Look back at verse 82 again, if you will. My, mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when... Wilt thou comfort me? Brother Taylor was here this last week and, and, and he addressed the issue of the fact that sometimes when we talk to God, we, we have that why. Lord, why am I facing this? Why, uh, why do I struggle this way? Why have you not answered this prayer? And sometimes we wonder why. And why can be a hard question to answer sometimes. It's hard when you're walking with someone through a valley in their life. Tragedy has come, and they ask you why, and you don't have an answer. Why is a hard question, but I think equally difficult is the question of when. You see, sometimes it's not the intensity of the pain that's so taxing as it is just the length of the trial. Just the fact that you would think by now I would have come through this. By now the, the, the fog should have lifted. By now the valley should be passed. By now the sun should be shining. Whatever illustration you want to say, it seems as though 
the, that, that I should be through this trial, but it just seems like every day uh, the, the rain continues. It just beats down upon me, and I don't know if there's an end to it. And, and Lord, when are you going to deliver me from this? When will the answer ever come? This thing that I've been praying about for so long, it just seems like there is no end in sight. Lord, when? How long? How long? He says in verse 84, the beginning part of that, how many are the days of thy servant? I want you to think about this with me. And maybe you have a better answer than I do. Because as I've looked at this and studied this a little bit, I, I, I come away with a couple different possible interpretations of that question. How many are the days of thy servant? The technical answer is he's asking God how long his life is going to be. But what is the purpose, what is the motivation behind that? Is he asking God, is he despairing of his life to where he's actually wishing that his life would come to an end sooner? How many are the days of thy servant? I think that's a possibility, and I, I've been with people like that. They're not suicidal, they're not looking to end their life, but just in all honesty, their life has gotten so difficult and so hard, they're ready. Man, if God calls me home today, it'll be a relief. You know what I mean? And I can't help but wonder if that was maybe something that had gone through the psalmist's mind. But I think maybe a, a more accurate, contextual understanding of that verse is this how many are the days of thy servant then listen to this when wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me I think he might be asking the Lord am I going to live to see the day that you finally deliver me from this affliction am I going to live to see my vindication you see sometimes we know that God is going to set everything straight but we also face the reality that that may not be in our lifetime. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Lord, how long am I going to live? And at what point are you going to straighten this whole thing out? These people that are afflicting me and oppressing me, I know that someday you're going to execute judgment. Is it going to be in my lifetime? Am I going to see that vindication come? I don't really exactly know what he's asking the Lord here, but I do understand he's saying, Lord, when? How long do I have to deal with this? Is it for the rest of my life? And potentially, if it is for the rest of my life, can you shorten that life a little bit? Because I don't want to have to deal with this much longer. I, I mean... I. I know that that's not necessarily a real encouraging message, but it is a reality of where this guy is in life. He is feeling the weight and the pressure of a prolonged trial that seems to have no end. And so he says, when, you know, mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? When, it, when am I going to find comfort? When are the sleepless nights going to be over? When am I going to have peace again? 
when, Lord? Tell me that that's not a difficult and even painful question that you might struggle with. Lord, I, I trusted you at the beginning of this valley. And I'm still trusting you, but more and more I'm wondering how long this is going to last. His weariness, his wondering, but through it all, I want to show you his wholeheartedness. Notice verse 81 again as we back up. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Verse 85, the, uh, the proud have digged pits for me which are not after thy law. In other words, it's not even a fair fight because these people who are against me aren't doing things according to your word. I'm trying to fight fair. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully, help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Do you know what he's reiterating over and over and over and over again here? Regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the affliction and the valley that I'm facing, one thing is sure, I will be true to God and his word. I believe that my answer is there. I believe that I ought to be faithful to the word of God regardless of what I see, what I feel, what I'm facing. I need to be true to God's word. In the midst of it all, I am committed to the word of God. And did you know that that really is the answer for when the valley gets long? It really is. That is the answer. I want you to hold your place here, but go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is known as that hall of faith chapter in the Bible, the the, the chapter that so much, of the, so much of it begins by by faith and it describes those uh, men and women who believed God in the past and the things that God did through them. Notice verse number 1 of Hebrews 11. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is really not proven when everything is clear and obvious to you. Faith is proven when you trust God, believe God, and act upon His word in obedience to Him, even when the way in front of you is dark. Faith is a willingness to say, Lord, I believe you, 
even though I can't see it myself. I, I'm going to trust God and let him be my navigator. I don't know if I've told you this story before or not. I had kind of a distant relative, an older lady who was widowed and had pretty severe macular degeneration, lost her eyesight. And she had a grown son who lived with her, uh, who was probably in his 60s at the time, but mentally slow. He had had a head injury when he was a small child and really never developed beyond maybe three or four years old mentally. Um, struggled to talk and things like that and really couldn't comprehend things well. Well, the two of them would venture out of the house from time to time and she would drive and he would tell her where to stop and where to turn and when it was clear for her to go and all those things and about all he could say was stop <laughs> and she'd stop, go. That, I mean, he just like one word, you know, that was kind of it. And I've thought about that many times. It's a miracle that they weren't both killed <laughs> doing that. But here's the thing. Just here's an illustration. She couldn't see, but she trusted that he could. Now, I, I, I wouldn't have trusted that. And I probably wouldn't trust it for anyone else. But I think it is an interesting illustration. Are you willing to trust that God can see things that you can't? To be true and faithful to God and His word and His ways, obedient to Him, even when it doesn't make sense to you. Understanding that God sees a bigger picture that you are not privy to and, and you are not able to see what He sees. So He says, I'm going to keep God's word. I am going to hope in your word. I'm going to place my confidence in you. I, I'm going to forsake not thy precepts, as he said in verse 87. We ought to have faith and trust that God is able to guide and direct us, even when we feel as though we are weary, that we cannot go on, that we are not able to see what's ahead, that we are dry and we're just ready to throw in the towel, but we keep going because God's way is always best, and we trust that and we believe that. But I also want to tell you, friend, that we keep going, we stay true and faithful to God's word because he is worthy. He's worthy. I understand that when we are facing real, life-altering difficulties, it's easy to believe that that is the biggest, most important thing in the whole world. And it may be that in your life, that whatever you're facing might be the biggest, most important thing on a day-to-day -day basis. It consumes your time and your energy and your focus and your money and all those different things. It could be that way. But friend, let us never get to a point where we believe that our problems are bigger than our God. Because they're not. Sometimes because the problem is here 
and it feels like God is way out there, you know what happens. Objects that are closer seem bigger, don't they? But the reality is that God is bigger than our problems. And regardless of our struggles and our difficulties, He is worthy of our devotion, our commitment, and our faithfulness. And in everything, in every trial, and every problem, we need to stay true to the Lord. I want to point out one more thing, and then we will have a word of prayer. Notice he said in verse number 81 at the end of the verse, But I hope in thy word. My confidence is that if I, by trusting God and being obedient to his word, that's the best possible outcome. My, my hope is in his word. Then look, if you will, verse 83, the end of the verse. Yet do I not forget thy statutes, even when all these things are happening around me and to me and in, in my life, I'm not forgetful of the word of God. Notice in verse 87, they had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Even when, when, when I was about done, I stayed true to your word. I have stayed true to your word. I am staying true to your word. And then look at verse 88. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. Lord, be merciful to me. Bring me back to life. <laughs> give, give me life again. And notice what he says. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. I have been true to your word. I am being true to your word. And Lord, if you deliver me, I will be true to your word. I think this is really important. Because so frequently... One of two things happens. Either in the midst of our trials, we fail to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. Because, let's be honest, it's a lot easier to serve God when things are going the way we want them to, isn't it? Either we fail to be faithful to the Lord in the trial, or the other side of that is we seek the Lord when we need deliverance. But when the deliverance comes, we tend to forget. There's a lot of, uh, even the world understands this concept, the whole foxhole conversion type thing. God, if you'll deliver me from this, I'll be true to you from this day forward, right? What happens? God delivers them. And they soon forget. And we can be that way. Here's what the psalmist is saying. The word of God is so important to me. It's my hope in trial. I will be faithful to it. No matter what, what comes my way. I have been. I am being. And if God chooses to in his mercy give me deliverance. I'm committed to be true to his word because God doesn't change, his word doesn't change. And one thing that should never change for God's people is our commitment to his word.